Thank you for joining our IAB There special streaming edition powered by Hulu with your host, IAB's Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Behrens. I'm the editor-in-chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to IAB There special streaming edition powered by Hulu. We are on the road to new fronts, which start one week from today, and we're excited to bring you this special episode that's going to highlight what's exciting in streaming, what's exciting about the changing and evolving video ecosystem. We have two guests today, Tracy Shapak, she is the CEO of Mattermore Media, and Brittany Duncan, who's the media director for Beam Suntory. We're excited that we're uh, you've joined us. Uh, we're grateful to Hulu for their support. Let's get going and bring Eric John. He is the Director of the Video Center of Excellence uh, here at the IAB. Let's bring Eric on and then let's bring Tracy Shapak on. Over to you two. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brad. And Tracy, great to see you. Uh, we are thrilled to have you on today. You've been a great leader and advocate for where, where TV and the future of streaming is headed. And I think you even presented back in the day at, at, a, at the New Fronts, showing what, uh, what video creative might be looking like down the pike. Um, I think we're there now, right? Oh, I hope so. It's been a long journey for <laughs> sure. I think that was 2010. That's a long time yeah. ago. That is seeing where the puck is headed. Well, um, let's start with a quick overview. What are you doing? You've, you, you led uh, the, uh, the Center for Television and Video Excellence at Publicis. Now you are uh, CEO of Mattermore Media. Tell us what Mattermore Media does, and then we'll hop into some of your thoughts on what's what the current landscape looks like. Sure. At Mattermore, we do two things, strategic consulting, kind of in the advanced TV space. And then I also do addressable television in all its form executions for clients. Great. So um, we've all seen audience growth in CTV has been getting a ton of attention, especially amidst the pandemic. Um you know, I, I think uh, a, a key question for us here at IAB is there's there's the, the old adage, it takes 21 days to make a habit and 90 days to form a lifestyle. My sense is people probably aren't going back to the old days and ways of television viewing, at least for those people who have shifted over. But what's your sense? What are you seeing as you talk to clients about this moment um, where it seems like the, uh, you know, the shift in the hockey stick towards towards CTV has really taken hold? Yeah, well, when you stand back, you know, I've been saying for a while now that we're one decade into a two decade shift. And that shift is really centered around distribution and the way content is being sent from one place to another. And it happens to things that have the smallest file faster. So, you know, things like photos, it happens quite quickly. But video is a much larger file and, you know, has gotten larger um, over the past you know, decade because now it's a 4K file. So that makes it much harder. But we are um, in this transition that really is all about distribution. And what COVID has done is accelerated that transition for sure at a moment in time and one that might be, um, you know, accelerating you know, over the next several years quite quickly, um, faster than it was pre-COVID. But I think the wild card to me will be live sports. So, um, you know, that'll be the key. If we see some breaks in the way live sports is distributed, there'll be a, even further acceleration. 
Yeah. But there's no doubt we're moving to a world that is much more streaming based, you know, moving from broadcast to what we call unicast is exactly what we're seeing right in front of our eyes accelerating now, but it's still going to take, you know, well over another decade to get to the final stage. Yeah. So along with those behaviors and shifts towards streaming, what other expectations, you know, you and I both have young ones in in the house and the way they view television, the way they view, you know, uh, their programs, their expectations are different. What's your sense about what those different expectations mean, especially for brands and even for publishers in terms of how they're monetizing uh, those, you know, that streaming? That's a great question. I think, you know, um, what we're going to see in consumer expectations, you know, outside of when they want to watch it and, you know, that binge watching that goes along with it, I think we're going to see an expectation of less ads and ads that are more valuable to me. I think that's the same for the advertisers. I mean, they are looking for an environment that has got less ad load and that every ad that is delivered to a consumer is more valuable to them and, of course, then willing to pay more for it. Yeah. Um, that expectation of what buyers are willing to pay for, that's a conversation that we've been having a lot here at IAB. We had a town hall last week called Prove It to Move It, making the case for CTV. Um, you know, I, I, everyone, as everyone's been watching the time spent in front of whatever screen you're watching video, clearly there's a lot more... Um, viewership happening. What does that scale mean, especially for, um, you know, for, for brands and buyers? One would think it's, this is an amazing opportunity to try these new platforms, but there's also a lot of expectations about what the pricing should be, uh, you know, CTV versus linear, et cetera. What are your conversations with buyers and, and even publishers about how to strike a balance on pricing? Is, is that ultimately a conversation about effective CPMs? What's what's the education process there? Well, well, for sure, it's a conversation about effective CPMs, but it starts with, I mean, there's a very different type of conversation you have with a seller of inventory. You know, a lot of it is um, posture to make sure that you are getting, uh, you know, you're negotiating. So you want to make sure yeah. you're not, you know, showing all your cards. And, um, you know, you start out, uh, you know, with that stance. But it, as soon as the seller leaves the room and you're with your client, you move to a conversation about effective CPMs. And so in the television world, you know, we would have conversations with clients and let's use as an example, Purina. So Purina is an advertiser who is trying to sell dog food and um, the classic example of addressable television. And let's say their cable CPMs are $10. But if the incident size of homes with dogs are for easy math, let's say 10%, your effective CPM is $100. Yes, there is value to some waste because some of those, you know, people, the other 90% one day might get a dog. But if you're to rationalize your media investment, having targetability and talking about eCPMs are, is the way to make a shift to think about it. So of course, mm -hmm. addressing CPM is higher than a traditional CPM. But when you factor in the conversation about an effective CPM, you know, you have a different conversation. And then, of course, in all of the advanced TV um, flavors that are out there, and, you know, there are many, it's, you know, obviously through 
a box, but we're also starting to serve through a smart TV. And of course, streaming should all be addressable, if you ask me. And you have a conversation about how are we going to prove that the advertising actually works. So let's say we start off and we're going to pay a $40 CPM. But what we do is we make sure every piece of the uh, KPI funnel that an advertiser is looking to measure is tracked with test versus control. Right. So there's a group that doesn't see the ad and there's a group that sees the ad. And from there, you can start to understand, do you get a positive ROI on the KPIs? And from there, you can understand, well, what is the, pr- the price point that I should be paying given my business? And some advertisers you know, desire a certain customer um, because they have a really high lifetime value. And so they're, of course, they're willing to pay a higher CPM. But then there's a whole host of CPG advertisers are kind of obvious ones that come to mind that, you know, Clorox only makes about five cents a year on a loyal bleach buyer. So, of course, they're not willing to pay the same CPM as Ford is going to pay. So then there becomes a conversation once you get the results back and negotiation. And I think that's kind of where we are um, right now, especially with addressable and uh, advertising that has attribution um, attack is what is the price point I should be paying? What is a fair value? Because there's no doubt that, you know, sight, sound, and motion should have a premium and addressable that's targeted should also have a premium, but it is at what premium? And the data can really help inform that negotiation. Yeah. You wrote uh, last month a great article um, called more ads, fewer ads, more value. TV must reinvent itself in the new normal. That was in Campaign uh, Magazine. What? And and there you talked about the uh, notion of universal addressability as the key to bringing these worlds, you know, the traditional and digital worlds together. We've been talking about, you know, um, convergence forever. What does that Venn diagram look like? Though, um, are we in a moment where where um, buyers and sellers are a state of mind where they can actually see? Um, the ability to reach audiences more specifically across all these platforms? Well, you know, the distribution um, is a little slower than the measurement, I would say. So mm-hmm. we're you're looking at a lot of places back to that fundamental shift that we're going through, you know, through two, two decades, which is probably really more like four decades. But um, it, so it's a long shift in distribution. And you can see where linear is having a little harder time moving to an addressable world where digital kind of is born addressable. And so you're starting to see, you know, um, that kind of, uh, you know, coming together. But really what's going to unify things is data because we cannot, I mean, if we are going to maximize the user experience and the advertiser experience and just content, the underlying, you know, um, funding of content we're going to need to unify that data so that we don't create pools of inventory and buying sources that don't talk to each other. I mean, we, it's, I mean, it's really obvious. We're trying to um, reach a place where unique reach, you know, and frequency is optimized across mm-hmm. all advertising experiences, but in this case, all video experiences and there is plenty of data out there to really make um, significant strides in that unification, but still we're talking about these in pools. So I see that as 
one of the things we really need to work on is how do we figure out how to unify addressable and TV distribution, heck, all advertising distribution, but I'm not sure Facebook and Google are going to play nice, but I think TV's got an opportunity to really unify to provide you know the best viewing and monetization engine possible. Yeah. So Tracy, I want to put you a little bit on the spot. What do you think, um, you know, for all the addressable enabled media, right? And and CTV obviously being there at, at, at the get-go, what percent of media, digital video media out there is audience targeted or even throw in audience, you know, uh, index in the case of, uh, of linear, you know, data-driven? How much media out there is, is being audience targeted? Um, it, w- it would depend on which pool you're talking about, for sure. Um, I had the pleasure to interview several heads of sales um, all together on one stage about probably a year ago, and it was an interesting answer. I asked that exact question, you know, what percentage is at least using advanced data sets to, um, you know, be part of the buy? And I would say the traditional television people's answer was about 5%. And mm-hmm. um, Peter Naylor then at Hulu's answer was about 95%. Now, I'm sure somewhere the truth is in here somewhere, but I think, um, you know, data-driven linear television has been talked about, you know, at a high level, I think for the last, you know, five years, three years, five years. And really the issue is, that data is the warm-up before addressable. So the data, you know, that helps you, who is my strategic target? A lot of clients don't even know that, right? Um, and, and really understanding what data sets can I use and how do I combine data? But it's not until you get that change in distribution that I was talking about earlier that you can start to target and address. And what I found over the last 250 campaigns that I've done with advertisers is that they're really looking for about between 11 and 15% of the universe. So it's not until you can eliminate that 85% that they're really not looking to reach that you unlock a a tremendous amount of value. And so so I think that number you're hearing from traditional people has to do with the fact that not enough value is created by index-based selling or buying, and they don't have access to addressability. And that is what's changing. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation that follows us, where Brittany and Nina are going to talk about the brand maker's mark, because clearly that's a category where you can't get, you really do need to, addressability is not an option. You need to know who you're talking to. And in fact, you know, age, age, the age side of, of, of demographics, it really does need to be deterministic in a way. So we'll hear about that shortly. But I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, some of the categories in particular. So we've, the, the pandemic has seized and paused so much spend. There's clearly a lot of structural change taking place and we're all seeing it, you know, in the landscape of different categories. Amazingly, a lot of, of, of marketers and brands have really upped their game for, uh, for more optimized creative. I've seen more variation in TV commercials playing out uh, than I've ever seen before. Um, so that's all to the good. But I'd be curious if you could share some thoughts on where where are the opportunities for publishers in terms of thinking about new categories that are coming into the streaming world, and for just the the data you know data driven sell in general 
where should what brands are leaning into that opportunity? Well, I think you know for Matter More, one of the things that I have really focused on is a particular type of advertiser, and they um, have very large below the line budgets, so catalogers. So um, one of my clients, William Sonoma, I thought it was interesting, you know, during the pandemic, the spike in bread making machines. I mean, like what a what an opportunity for them, right? But they're a type of advertiser that you don't see on TV. And so how can we bring really data savvy catalogers and get them off of mail and move them into video? Or how do we get them to complement their mail efforts and amplify them with video. I mean, all these things obviously work together, but that's a pretty huge budget that really has not transitioned all the way. Like digital could not soak up all of that demand of what those ever, what that below the line marketer marketing budget was looking for, you know, and it's, you know, just south of $50 billion. And I just think it's a huge opportunity to bring those advertisers who are premium don't confuse direct mail with direct response, right? They are premium advertisers. Just I get inspired every night when I, you know, go to the mailbox. Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking internally a lot about how we're really going to see a rebirth in shopper marketing, that whole universe, huge universe of trade dollars that used to be yes. about driving attention to an end cap. Where better to do that in, in, in the end cap that is frequently, you know, online. So that's going to be an amazing thing to watch. Um, I want to finish up with a question. Um, you spent a, a, a few cycles in the, in the agency world, you know, representing clients and representing holding companies. I'd love to have you say, share, like, what are the issues that you are seeing differently now that you're wearing more of a, of a, the hat of Switzerland, um, now that you're independent, how do you see things now? Yeah, I think um, what I have noticed a big change in is the amount of candor that I get from the sellers. So, you know, when you're working at a big agency, everyone has to be nice to you, you know, and and everyone has to tell you everything is perfect and, you know, there's no flaws in anything. And so what I, and, and it's, you know, they, they're nice and you're like, that's kind of the dynamic. And now it's much more open conversation. People are more candid because I have experience with huge advertisers, but now I don't represent huge money that they're like, you can help me fix some of these problems and make me look good when I go to those huge advertisers. So what I've really noticed is the candor that um, comes along with the fact that I used to have large scale and now I don't. And so um, it's, I, I love it. I mean, I have learned so much by, you know, really stepping away from a big agency job and really partner with both the, the buy and the sell side and technology and data to try and improve the marketplace. Yeah. It's a new set of binoculars. And uh, yeah. we can't wait to hear what you're seeing uh, coming, coming down the road. Tracy, thank you so much. And uh, Brad, let's pass it over to you for, uh, for some videos uh, of IAB years. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy and Eric. I'm really grateful that you uh, you could join us today on this special streaming edition of IB There, powered by our friends at Hulu. Uh, one of the things I wanted to call, sort of bring into focus and reiterate is what Tracy was saying, which I think is is true and is fascinating. 
uh, is the idea that really these industry tectonic shifts are not going to finish shifting for quite some time. It feels like we've been doing this forever, like we've been in the middle of this extraordinary uh, evolution uh, of video, uh, and we have, uh, but it, we're far from the finish line. And the new fronts, which are coming one week from today, uh, are, are really a great indication, not only uh, of how far we've come, but also uh, how exciting the present moment is and, and how even more thrilling the very near and middle term future will be. Last week, when we did this episode of the special streaming edition of Ivy, they're powered by Hulu. We went to our friends at uh, the IAB, to our peers, our fellow employees here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. And we asked them, you know, gosh, well, uh, you know, what are you, what are you streaming this weekend? Uh, and this time we did something a little bit different, which was we asked them to go to their families. Uh, what are you streaming? What generation are you? How old are you? And what are you doing? We would like you to share your streaming for this upcoming week and weekend with us. If you uh, care to, we please send an email with a video, just take it on your phone, takes about five seconds, and email a video of what you're streaming this weekend to there at iab.com uh, and where you're streaming it, what you're streaming, where you're streaming it. If you care to, please share your generation, something like what you're about to see. Let's roll that video, please. I'm Kate Edmondson. I'm a Gen Z. I work for the IAB, and this weekend I'm going to be streaming 30 Rock on Hulu. Hi, I'm McKenna Edmondson. I'm also a Gen Z. I'll be watching Money Heist on Netflix. Hi, I'm Duke Edmondson. I'm a Gen Z, and I will be watching Avatar The Last Airbender <laughs> on Netflix. Hello, I'm Miriam. And I'm David Munoz. We are going to be streaming Hunters on Amazon Prime. And by the way, we're baby boomers. <laughs> Hooray! Hi, I'm Cameron. I'm a Gen Xer. And this weekend, I'm going to be watching Ozark in Space Force on Netflix. Yeehaw! I'm Elias from Gen Z. I'm Edwin. I'm Generation X. And we're watching The, the 100, 100 on, on Netflix, Netflix this, this weekend. weekend. Hi, my name is Cole. I'm part of Generation Z. And I plan on watching Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime this weekend. My name is Rebecca John, and this weekend I'm streaming Grace and Frankie on Netflix and The Voice on Hulu. Hi, I'm William Barons. I'm 15, and I'm rewatching Hunter x Hunter on Crunchyroll. Hi, I'm Helena Barons. I'm 19, and this weekend I'll be streaming John Mulaney's Kid Gorgeous on Netflix. Isn't that great? Uh, you might have recognized a couple of those people right at the end who look a little bit like me. That's not by accident. Uh, please do share your videos of what you're streaming this week and this weekend by sending them to there at IAB.com. For our next segment, I'm pleased to welcome Nina Munoz. She is the director of the, uh, the Video Center, works for Eric, who you just saw. She is going to be interviewing Brittany Duncan, the media director of Beam Centauri. Let's bring them into the stream and let's have them take it away. Hi. Hi, Brittany. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Nina. How are you? Good, good. Um, so I'm so excited to dive into everything streaming video and video ad create, creative innovation with you. And I think Eric and Tracy's conversation kind of laid out these overall industry trends that we're seeing. And it'll be great to hear how those industry trends are, are playing out for you from a marketer's perspective. Um, 
So to start with, can you just share a brief overview of your role at Beam Suntory? Yeah, sure. Um, so I work at Beam Suntory, um, where we oversee a portfolio of brands across many different spirits categories. Um, Maker's Mark being one of ours um, within the bourbon portfolio. Um, and my role there is really to steward our media investments and media strategies, um, partnering with our agency, as well as um, working as the center of excellence for the organization around future of media, the consumer landscape, and how to really be prepared for what's next. Um, so, you know, we have day-to-day -day media management around individual brands as well as portfolio strategy, but then also thinking about our learning um, and measurement planning, as well as that innovation loop, ensure that we're really trying and testing new things for the future. Great. And you mentioned that Beam Suntory is a big umbrella brand with many liquor brands falling underneath that. Um, I'm sure many of those brands kept this company during quarantine time. And so when you're thinking across all of these brands, how do you think about building a media strategy across their portfolio? Yeah, so I would really consider it a top-down, bottoms-up approach where we really want to make sure we're catering to the individual nuances of each individual brand, um, thinking about who the consumer is, the stories that we have to tell, and really the challenges or opportunities that we're trying to tap into, um, but then also thinking in a smart way to really leverage the weight of the portfolio to ensure that if there's ways to um, bring new opportunities, new partnerships, um, and to just think about the, the negotiation aspect of things, then we also try to plan that across the portfolio to ensure that our brands are coming along with what some of our best practices and uh, learnings that we've had across the, the full portfolio. Um, so it's definitely a little bit of a two-pronged approach. Right. And thinking specifically about the role of streaming video, how do you layer that in in the context of your broader campaigns. Um, is it something that at this point you are evaluating for each of your brands? Is it something that depends on, on the audience or the specific brand goals? Yeah, it depends. Um, so I would say, you know, for a handful of our brands, we do have a video strategy um, as part of our approach to communications. Um, when it comes to those brands, over the last couple of years, we've really been on a journey around transforming into a video ecosystem strategy. Um, thinking about, you know, TV for us continues to be an important foundation of our plans, but we do feel like there are opportunities to complement that, um, one of which is the connected TV space. Um, and so how we've been really approaching that is over the last couple of years, really doing testing and learning to the data that we needed to support how much to invest there, how to diversify. But, you know, I think at this point, the name of the game is really that fragmentation. Um, and, you know, what Eric and Tracy mentioned earlier around for us, you, there's a lot of um, industry and category nuances that we have to navigate. And so the ability to more narrowly target and to really think about that legal drinking younger consumer, um, how do we build that incremental reach when there is just a reality of how far TV can go? Um, and it's been really beneficial to us within our strategies today. And. Eric had mentioned previously that last week we had a town hall that was titled Prove It to Move It, Making the Case for Connected TV. And within that town hall, we highlighted four kind of friction areas that we thought may be holding ad spend back currently. And one of those is exactly what you mentioned, is that ability to being able to measure your incremental reach that connected TV is adding to the broader campaign. 
Um, so as you're thinking about measuring incremental reach for your campaigns, how are you going about doing that today? Um, would you say that it's more of an, an art or a science? Yeah, so I would say it's definitely a balance of art and science for us. There's certainly not one perfect approach that we've found to date. Um, as we've kind of dipped our toe into, um, you know, additional platforms beyond TV, we've done some third-party measurement to help um, really justify and sort of account for what that incremental reach is, as well as duplication. Um, and that's been really helpful and um interesting to not only understand how sizable that can be, but in addition, the type of consumers that we're reaching. Um, what we've seen is that it's been able to isolate those light TV viewers or, or cord cutters um, where, you know, it's very difficult to find those. They are watching almost less than two hours of TV a week. And so it's really hard to isolate those. Um, so that was really um, a nice surprised to see that that strategy was so successfully achieved. Um, but at the same time, you know, as you expand that reach within the, the different platforms, you still have that fragmentation and there's not that one source that you can utilize. So, you know, for us, I think we are still trying to take a consolidated approach as we think about diversifying our video strategy so that we do have as much ability to account for how that reaches a mounting tool. Um, but at the same time, it, it is a balance and it is a little bit of an art to piece together all the pieces. Right. And then kind of continuing on that topic of art, you know, a commonly discussed topic within the industry is that of creative innovation. And it's something that I personally really enjoy talking about, really putting our brains together and thinking about how we can make that consumer ad experience the best that we can. And so I know last year, Makers Mark partnered with Hulu on one of their newer ad formats called the Binge Ad. Um, can you share a little bit about how that campaign idea originated and how it ended up playing out on the Hulu platform? Yeah, so um, we were thrilled to participate in that um, beta uh, opportunity with, um, with Hulu. And the idea really was to hone in on specific viewers who had that viewing pattern of binging a certain show multiple episodes at a time um, and building out a unique and custom experience to reach them um, in a more engaging way. Um, and from a Maker's Mark standpoint, that's something that's very true to our brand. We have a lot of character um, and that's something we love to connect into to um, create a more personal connection with, with that viewer. Um, so we were thrilled to jump in. We partnered with the um, Mill Production Company as well as Starcom to bring that experience to life in addition to Hulu. And what it was, it was a free episode experience where it really started out as a teaser showing that Maker's Mark sponsorship. But as the ads went on, and it was a series of ads across different formats, but we created a unique um, custom ad experience that really was playing off of specific genre content Themes to sort of play into how you find your favorite um, favorite shows and get immersed within them and having Maker's Mark um, crash the party almost, being that placement within, but the fact that Maker's Mark can never be truly um, out of place and sort of connecting it into that passion. And so there were custom units that ran over the course of those three episodes with the ultimate reward being an ad-free um, episode to encourage that binge viewing um, watching behavior. That's great. And it, it really is a fun campaign. Um, it's a, You can see some of the ad creative up on Hulu. I would encourage anyone who's interested to take a look because it's fun to see how Maker's Mark is being incorporated into, um, you know, scenes of space or this medieval times looking dinner. And one thing um, that you had mentioned and that I, I thought was really um, 
kind of interesting when Tracy mentioned that data is so important and data is the warm up to being able to do anything addressable in our space. And particularly for Bean Suntory dealing with these liquor brands, that data is particularly important because you're messaging to this 21 and up audience. Um, but thinking about this campaign in particular, how did you go about thinking about data and your targeting efforts um, for this binge ad? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the, the approach there was really to think about that behavior, the qualifying behavior of someone being categorized as a binge watcher. Um, that was our number one focus. And then in addition, really layering on the demo because we wanted to ensure that there was enough scale behind it. Um, to really think through our, you know, that again, that complement to our video um, and TV strategy. So in this case, we didn't add a ton of additional um, layering um, levels of, of targeting on top of. Um, but at the same time, we felt really good that the behavior indicated was someone who was truly immersed in shows and tended to continue to watch multiple shows in, in one sitting. Good. And thinking about... Um after the campaign aired, what were some of the success metrics that uh, you ultimately evaluated the efforts on? We had a multi-metrics um, approach, some of which being attitudinal, others through some of our market mix modeling, which was fairly early just because of the size of the of the beta. Um, but what we've been able to see is that attitudinally tied to both favorability consideration, that um, the results were a lot higher than standard ads, both on the platform itself, so comparing us to some other um, standard advertisers, but also within our own um, sort of measurement within the Maker's Mark world. Um, and so it was um, pretty positive results. Um, certainly, it's, it's something that's new. So I think there's still some um, learning to have within, you know, how long an asset can live and um, how often this type of engagement um, should or could work. Um, but overall, we would consider the, the pilot a, a success and felt very on um, both on brand and on strategy. So we were really excited about it. And thinking about anything you do that's new, right, there's going to be these learnings that you can take away from them um, and kind of kickstarting any creative campaign, particularly when there's this uh, never before been done element to it can be challenging. Uh, anecdotally, as we talk to our members, you know, it's like, do you have the right people involved? Is the creative brief integrated with the media plan? Um, what were some of those additional learnings that you were able to take from it to apply you know, either to a campaign that would utilize a binge ad again, or just in general to a campaign where you're kind of testing some new innovative format. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly when it comes to um, doing anything for the first time, um, bringing a willingness to experiment and start from scratch, I think always helps so that you don't necessarily come in with a pre-baked, preconceived notion, um, because real, the reality is that no one really knows exactly what will work. Um, but I think for us, you know, when we think about our video strategy and knowing that we have a very standard one-to-many message, this felt like an opportunity to really customize and get creative a little bit more nimble and, and we feel like that worked well for us. Um, so I think that type of spirit of um, being open to the, po the possibilities as well as collaboration. I mean, certainly this was um, a multi-party effort um, of bringing a lot of minds together and, and ideating around how best to crack that connection, but also, um, you know, how to co-brand that along with the Dewey team um, and beyond. So 
I think um, certainly, oh, and then I would say also just from a metric standpoint, being mindful of the measurement piece of it. And while it might not always be black and white, um, having some indicator of how this might be performing, especially um, compared to maybe more standardized um, advertising is always um, very helpful. Yeah. And that's something we've been hearing um, from the buy side, buyers and marketers right now. In this time of the global pandemic happening, there seems to be more willingness to lean in and test and learn, even if you know the exact right metrics aren't available. Um, people are kind of more willing to test and learn and, and piece it together to create that story and see what's working for your brand. So on our closing question here, uh, Brad mentioned next week, we're looking ahead to IAB's first ever virtual new friends. And so we will have lots of buyers and marketers he hearing from publishers and partners in our industry about content, advertising, and new capabilities. Um, as we get ready to enter that week, what would be your advice to a marketer in how to think about their strategy around streaming video? Mm -hmm. so I would say um, probably first put the consumer at the center. Um, I think, you know, I know all too well, it's it's very easy to go off of what you've done before, um, where the, the biggest dollars may go, and, and often then the other kind of aspects of how you might change or evolve your strategy can be, um, you know, left for a later discussion. Um, but I think in particular right now, how behaviors have been changing amidst um, stay-at-home sort of um, realities, I think you're seeing a, a lot of um broadly, uh, so you're seeing some of those trends that previously existed, I think being heightened even more so. And so how can you really put the consumer and their behavior at the, the center and build out your strat strategy from there? Um, and then I think secondarily is just um, similar to um, Eric and Tracy's conversation around data, and then also the measurement side of things around, you know, if you feel uncomfortable or, or unsure on how to broaden or, um, you know, expand your strategy, then perhaps explore you know, the measurement side of things to do it in smaller scale to learn and then scale from there um, so that you feel like you're putting smart investments um, together and not necessarily doing a broad sweeping change within um, your, your marketing and media plans. That's worked really well for us and I think has given a lot more reassurance um, to how we can expect uh, for a certain strategy to perform. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for being here. It's been great chatting with you and hearing how, how your brands are thinking about streaming video. And it's always nice to be able to talk about this concrete example um, of testing and trying a new video ad format. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today. And I am going to kick it back to Brad, who will close out today's session. Thank you, Nina, and thank you, Brittany. Uh, it's so it's such a great pleasure to have both uh, Tracy Shepak of Mattermore Media and uh, Brittany, uh, whose last name, unfortunately, ah, Brittany Duncan, Media Director for Beam Centauri. Sorry, I lost track of my notes for a moment there. Uh, joining us to talk about the future of streaming, the present of streaming, as we're getting ready for our exciting New Fronts event next week. For those of you who want to learn more about the New Fronts, please check out iab.com. There's a big link on the homepage. We have a lot of exciting things that will be happening there. In addition to myriad presenters, uh, we'll also be releasing our video ad spend report, and uh, as well as uh, other research that I think you'll, you'll find fascinating. 
We have a special New Fronts preview episode of IEB There on Thursday. So I'll urge you, of course, to tune in every day to IEB There, but uh, but also uh, particularly on Thursday. Tomorrow, on tomorrow's show, we will welcome back uh, Sue Hogan. She is our SVP of Research here at the IAB. We have our latest buy-side spend pulse report coming out about the impact of coronavirus uh, on ad spend. It's been a stirring series of reports on both the buy side and the sell side, how things are changing, why they're changing, how they're continuing to change. Sue will be here to walk us through the top line of that research. Uh, to, uh, to, to go back, uh, please, to the New Fronts. Next week, we launch the virtual New Fronts for the first time. The event will kick off Monday at noon Eastern. There will be five days of uh, content uh, programming discussing the latest in video content, video programming, and technology around uh, digital video. We're excited by this, uh, and in a moment, we're going to share a video preview so you can get a sense of what it is you'll be seeing next week. I Be There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tofika Mahinadin. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Thank you so much for watching. Please come back tomorrow because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB there. And as we leave, let's roll that New Fronts preview for people to get a sense of what's happening next week. Here we go. great opportunity for all of our clients to come together and get to see uh, the showcase of all the great content that's available from our uh, largest digital partners. We like to learn what the partners are doing in the digital space. We like to understand what's new, how is the content platforms changing and evolving with the rapid fire digital space.